If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Of old you laid the foundation of earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hey, I want to jump into this uh, series. What we've sought to do in this series, we are wrapping it up today, is we've sought to lay a foundation in our lives of being the kind of people who take time on a regular basis to set aside our laundry list of things that we need to do and even the problems that we face and to just seek God and and grow in our understanding of who he is and also in our knowledge of him in a personal, intimate way. In this series in particular, we've been looking at the unlimited nature of God, this idea that God is not like us, that that you and I, we have limitations, which are very evident evident to us. I mean, just go try and do a a hardcore workout, 10 minutes in, you'll feel the limitations or, or you know, fill in the blank. We have limitations in this life, but the reality is God is an unlimited God. It's called the infinitude of God, that all that God is, he is in an unlimited way. And, and I just wanna walk us through a couple of the attributes that we've gone through because really believe that uh, God is wanting to do a deep work in us through this series, something that marks us and stays with us for the rest of our walk uh, with him. Because when we grow in our knowledge and love for God, as the apostle Paul says, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another by the renewing of our minds. And so my prayer for us is that we'd have a renewal of our minds through this series and today that, that marks us and sticks with us for the rest of our lives into eternity. And so we've been talking about God's unlimited nature. And so far we have, a, we have covered his unlimited life, that all living beings find their source in God that everything else in all creation is dependent upon God, but God in and of himself is a self-sufficient, independent being. And then we talked about his unlimited knowledge, that God sees all and knows all, that, that God doesn't get surprised. He knows what's around the corner. He knows all things before they happen. He knows how it turns out and he's working it for our good. Then we looked at his unlimited presence, that the God who is always alive, who is always good, is also always there. There isn't a place in heaven or on earth, if you go to the heights of the heavens and the depths of the earth, where you can escape the presence of God. Every moment, everywhere, God is there with us. In your best times and in your worst times, God is present with us. And last week, we looked at his unlimited power, that God is the almighty, the all-powerful, that he doesn't have to ask permission or seek help, that none can thwart God's plan. He can and he will do as he pleases, which is good news to us because God is a good God. It's not bad news to us that God is in control. It's good news and it causes our hearts to rest assured that God is sovereign. He's in control. He's over the heavens and the earth and we can trust him with that. And this morning we're wrapping up the series by looking at God's unlimited consistency. In the world that we live in, it's anything but consistent. Every aspect of our world, if you just look through every dynamic of our world, it is inconsistent in its nature. I mean, the political world is changing all the time. The economic world is the same way. The housing market is crazy hot right now. If you bought a house a few years ago and you were to sell it right now, you would probably make out uh, pretty well. And you may want to do that soon because you don't know. You don't know when it's going to just fall out from under us. You don't know if it's going to crash like it did in 2008. We don't know. It's inconsistent. It's moving. It's changing. And, And one day we could wake up and it, boom, it's just at the bottom again. And then it may spike again. The economic world on the macro sense is inconsistent. On the micro sense, it's uh, inconsistent. You go down to the personal level, you might be broke as a joke right now. 
Like you may just be, you know, just like, hey man, can you help me out? Just get the next meal. You may, you may just merely be making it on your rent checks every month. And tomorrow you could land the best job of your life. Tomorrow you could land a job that would just make you. And, you know, you may land that job and you may be like, oh, great. Like now I can buy the house that I want. And so you save up the down payment. It only takes you a month because you're just rolling in it now. And you save up the down payment and you sign on the dotted line. Oh, I can send my kid to that school now. And so you sign on with them and, you know, invest in the school and you get that car that you want and you start, you know, shopping a little nicer and life is going good. And, and just after you sign off on all these things, HR calls you in, right? And they're like, hey, you know, uh, it's time for some layoffs. And because you're at the bottom of the totem pole, we're so sorry, but you're gonna have to go. Our economic world, even if it feels steady, stable, even if you've done all the things at Financial Peace University, it is inconsistent. We don't know the future and we can be good stewards, but at the end of the day, God is the one who provides for us. But just forget politics and economics for a minute. I mean, anyone not still in high school, if you just go and stand in front of a mirror and take an honest look at yourself, you'll know that your body's changing. Like, like you'll know that things aren't the way that they want. Like it's not as tight as it once was. And, you know, there's a little covering on that abdominal region that you didn't used to be there. And, you know, there may, there may be a little, uh, little gobble going on under the underarm there. You know, it's just things are changing and there may be more hair than there. I mean, it's just things are changed. It's hard to keep up the physique because our bodies are changing. If you're married, you know, your spouse changes. Their body changes, moving on from that. <laughs> Their personality changes. That's why when you said your vows, you didn't say, till death do me part if you keep it up. No, 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 no. You said in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. Why did you say that? Because you signed up for a spouse that was gonna change. There's gonna be times where they're sick. There's gonna be times where they're healthy. Matter of fact, you know, the whole idea of like, oh, I fell out of love. Well, of course you fell out of love because the, the person you married is not the person that you're married to. They changed, you changed. Marriage is not about staying in that ethereal place of love. Marriage is about learning to love this person who's ever changing before us in the same way that God loves us with that covenantal love. But that's a rabbit trail. Marriage, your spouse changes, your kids will change, your friends will change. If you've lived in the city long, you know the city changes. And if you just look back at the passage, I mean, David told us it was gonna happen hundreds of years ago, Psalm 102, of old you laid the foundation of the earth. You know, when you're hanging out with your friends and you're reminiscing about times of old, oh, you remember back in school or in our college day, you remember when we did that, you know, we TP'd that professor, we did this, or you remember that time he tried to jump over the fire and he tripped and he almost died, you know, you remember that? When God does that, he's like, hey, um, you remember when I laid the foundation of the earth and I uh, spoke and the heavens came into existence? Yeah, I did that. And uh, but David, he says, of old, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands, dot, 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 but they will perish. The two most stable things in all of our known universe, the heavens and the earth, they too will perish. The environmentalists are right. The earth is gonna, we're wasting the earth. But you know what? We could slow it down. We could steward it better, but it will perish one way or another, it's going to happen. And David, his list isn't comprehensive. I'm in him saying the heavens and the earth are perishing. He's, he's including everything inside of it. And so everything within heaven and earth will pass away as well, which means our cars, our clothes, our houses, our furniture, the 401k, the in-ground pool, the vacations at the beach, the hair you're desperately trying to keep. I don't know if you can tell, my, my hairline is receding quickly. Or the hair color that you're trying to keep. 
It'll pass away. It's all perishing. It's all wearing out like a garment. And yet God never changes. Look at the passage. It says, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. Or as the author of Hebrews tells us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Friends, all that God is, he is consistently. He is the rock that is higher than I. And as David cries out in Psalm 61 too, there are times in our life, and really it's a great place to live, where we cry out, God, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, because everything else in this world, it's not a rock that we can stand on, but God is the rock that we can stand on. God, all that he is, he is consistently, which makes him so very different from us. The only thing that's consistent about us is the fact that we're inconsistent. I mean, you know, one day we wake up, we're just like happy and bubbly. It's good to see you. Like so glad to be alive today and got my coffee. I'm in a good mood. You know, you show up to work and you're just like, hey, you know, my plate's full, but just want to be here for you. And you go to your boss, you're like, hey boss, anything I can do for you today, I just want to serve and be a blessing. You know, you're, you're driving home from work. And you're just like, no, you go, no, you go. You guys are great. And you get home and hey kids. And you know, it's just, you're just there. And you know, you, you might've woken up early that day, 5.30, and you're in prayer, and you're in the scriptures, and you're just sharing your faith at work, and it's good. Like, it's a good day. And then the next day, you know, you stayed up a little too late, you sleep in, you hit snooze, you skip your prayer time, you skip the scriptures, you know, you go to work, and you're just like, just get away from me. I, I missed breakfast. I slept in. Like, my hair's a mess. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to look at you. And you're in traffic, and you're like, get out of my way. I'm late. And you come home, and you're a little rude to your roommates, a little harsh with the kids. You know, it's just like, who is this person? These are two different people in the same body or something. And it's because we're inconsistent. The more we know God and the more we walk with him, the more consistent we'll be. But, but yet we still, I mean, we vary day to day. And yet God, he is so thankfully not like us. Everything that God is, he is consistently. As James said, every good and perfect gift is Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In every season of life, God is the same. In our best seasons of life and our worst seasons of life, when you are facing cancer, when you just had the breakup, when you just got laid off, or when you are at the physical peak of your life, when you're in the best relationship you've ever had, when you are rolling in it, God is the same in all of those situations. He doesn't change. God is the father of lights and in every season of life, 300, the last 365 days and the next 365 days, God is doling out to each and every one of us good and perfect gifts. And even the things in our life that don't start out good, Romans 8, 28 tells us that God is working them for our good, that, that he's turning that thing that came to us as bad news. And he's turning that thing for the good of our lives and the good of our destiny, whether it be that cancer or that layoff or that relationship, whatever it is that came at us as bad news, God is turning that for our good. But there's a qualifier in the statement. And the, the qualifier in the statement is that we love God and we're called according to his purpose. So for every single one of us in, the, in this room, if you don't love God and are called according to his purpose, that may not be true of you. God may not be working that for your good. There's a qualifier in the promise that we love him and we're called according to his purpose. But this is not the kind of love that is dependent upon us. 
It's not the kind of love that like, hey, if you had a great devotional this morning, then God is turning that for good in your life. No, no, it's not that kind of love. It's not the conditional kind of love. It's the kind of love where, where we so recognize that we will never love God the way that he loves us, that we surrender ourselves to the gift of God in Jesus Christ, that, that God gave his only son to forgive our sins and to welcome us in to his presence, to be in Christ, as the apostle Paul says. And it's that love that he qualifies it by saying, called according to his purpose, that our love for God is, is, is totally dependent and in response to the call of God coming into our lives. Paul says, if you're called according to his purpose and therefore there's an underlying love in your heart for God, then he is working all things for good. That was a really theological, talk through it kind of way of saying, if you're in Christ, you can have total and complete confidence that God is working that thing out for your good. If you're not in Christ, I've got a great solution for you. Turn your life to faith in Christ today and everything in your life, God will work it out for good because you love him and are called according to his purpose. This is a promise from our heavenly father, which means we can take it to the bank, which means the next storm that comes your way, friends, you can laugh in its face. When that storm is heading your way, you can laugh in its face because you know that on the other side of that storm, you're better, you're stronger, you're more faith-filled, you're more peaceful, you're more joyful, you're more beautiful, you're more glorious, you're more holy because God is working that storm out for your good. You can take comfort, friends, in the consistency of God because all that he is towards us, his mercy, his grace, his loving kindness, he is towards us consistently. There is no shadow or variation due to change. He doesn't receive you one day and in spite of your mess and then cast you out the next. He doesn't forgive you at one moment on the day of your salvation and then change his mind about you when you mess it up. No, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sometimes we get confused. We think there is a shadow in God. I mean, we're in through the Old Testament right now as a church and we're seeing things that bother us about God. You know, we're seeing God the judge. We're seeing his anger towards sin, his hatred for the unholy. And you, you maybe could have had the thought, like, this isn't the God that I know. This isn't the Jesus that I signed up for, who's just full of grace and mercy and love for every person he meets. Like, God is judging people. Like, that's, who is this God? You might have that thought. And I just want to say the idea that the God of the Old Testament is this angry judge and the God of the New Testament is this loving, merciful person is a false idea because both the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are a God. He is a God of justice and of mercy because he's the same. He's the same God then as he is now. And in the Old Testament, he's not, you see his judgment. Oftentimes what we don't realize is there were hundreds of years of people turning their face away from the true and living God. There were hundreds of years of people oppressing God's people, rejecting God and his ways, turning to do their own thing. I mean, the level of evil that was in some of the societies of that day, people creating gods, like man-made gods, and then literally sacrificing their children on the altar of those gods. What they did to women and to children and to the society around them was horrific. And so the judgment of God, although he waited and he waited and he waited, it was appropriate that he stepped in as he did. It's good news to us that God is a judge because it means that he will make all things right. It's good news to us that God is a judge because it means that he's not okay with the evil and the chaos that we see in our world today. And yet God, he, he doesn't want to judge the way that he does. 
He prefers that people turn that they might live as Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 33, 11. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Or as Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Like a parent with a teenager who has just gone wild and is pleading with them to turn from their ways because they don't wanna see their life go down that path of destruction. So God pleads with his people, with his creation, that we might turn from our ways and live. And he is pleading with us and he's waiting. He's holding back his judgment. He's patient towards us because he knows that that the moment he, he, he closes it up, the moment he removes all evil from the world, that he, he also removes the opportunity for any person to turn that they might live. Which means that the moment God removes the evil from the world and he comes back, Jesus will come back and judge the earth. The moment he does that, he, the door closes on the opportunity for our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors who have not yet put their trust in Jesus Christ to turn from their ways and believe in Christ that they might live. And so God in his love and in his mercy, he is waiting, but there is a day that is coming where the door will close. And you know what? I mean, I, the school shootings, the bombings, the evil, it's appropriate that our heart would cry out, why? And and, I mean, myself as much as any other, my heart cries out, God, why? God's response to us is, I'm waiting. And I mean, 9-11, one of the worst. I thank God that he didn't end the evil and suffering in the world on the day of 9-11. Because on 9-11-2001, I had not yet trusted in Jesus Christ which means I would have forever been cut off from the people of God. I would have forever been cut off from the goodness and the mercy and the loving kindness of God. And so God in his patience and his love and his mercy, he is waiting and waiting and waiting that the gospel might go out, that more people might turn and believe, that more nations and languages might receive Christ and enter into his promise for their life. God's desire for his people has always been consistent and it always will be consistent from the moment that sin entered into the world in Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter three, God sweeps in and he says, I'm gonna send one who's gonna make all this wrong right. I'm sending a savior who will step in, who will pay the price, who will crush the head of Satan, but Satan will bruise his heel, prophesying about the day that Jesus would go to the cross. And then throughout his the the history of God's people. God is speaking to his people through the prophets that he's sending this savior. He's sending the Messiah over 330 prophetic promises about this savior who is to come. And then 800 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, the the prophet Isaiah penned these words of what would happen at the crucifixion of Jesus. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, it's at the cross that the mercy of God and the justice of God met. That the justice of God, which, which makes every wrong right, which pays for the sin that was committed. God sent his son 
that he might pay for our sin. And I was just meditating on this this morning because I knew I'm gonna preach this and I, I just don't want this to be something I say. I want this to be something I'm living with. And I'm just, as I'm in my office, just praying and thinking about this, I'm just beginning to feel the weight again of my own sin. And the fact that Jesus went to the cross, not just for the sins of the world, but also for my sin, that it was my sin that, that should have caused me to be hanging on the cross, that it was my iniquity that God put on him and it was God crushing him when God should have been crushing me. And friends, this, this, this nature, this loving kindness of God, the fact that Jesus would take on the justice of God on our behalf, it, sh- it should cause us to slow down, to think, to, to remember what Christ has done, to be full of the loving kindness of the Lord because what we deserved was death and destruction and he gave us his mercy and grace. Why did God lay our sin on Jesus? Why did the creator choose to suffer for the creation? It's because of his consistency. Because of his consistency. Psalm 100 verse five, because God's steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. God's love, it never changes. The same love that he had for us in Genesis three when he made the promise about Jesus is the same love he had for us as Jesus was on the cross is the same love that he has for you as you're sitting in those chairs today. On your best days and your worst days, God love, God's love for us is the same. Not only is his love consistent, his word is consistent. Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it or has he spoken and will not fulfill it? God is integral, meaning that he's one. He doesn't change or shift depending on the circumstance. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't posture. He's not flaky. He doesn't say he'll, you know, he'll come to your party and then not show up. He, he doesn't say, I'll be there at four o'clock and then he arrives at 5.30. He doesn't tell you that he loves you and then you find out that he cheated on you. He doesn't play your relational heartstrings to get out of you what he wants and then toss you to the side or use your friendship to his own advantage. He doesn't lie to you or deceive you. You never have to wonder if he's telling the truth or if his promise will come to pass. If God said it, it is true and it will happen. Even in the times in our life when God says something and we look at his word and it looks like, God, you're saying this, you're saying this is how it's gonna work out. You're saying this is what you think of me, but it doesn't feel that way or it doesn't look that way. Just wait. Because in due time, God's word will prove itself to be true. When everything else changes and passes away, there God's word will remain forever. As Isaiah said, the, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Friends, the words of this book or whatever Bible you have, these are God's eternal words. These are words that when we read them, they, they pierce our hearts and they transform our minds and thereby they transform our entire lives and our eternity. There's nothing like the words in this book in all of the earth. There's nothing in all of the earth that will remain forever other than the souls of the people in this room and the people in this world and the word of God. And I fear for us sometimes, you know, because we, we waste so much time sometimes with things that just don't matter. Like social media, just scrolling through, just hours on there, binge watching Netflix, or just hours on a video game. I'm not dogging those things. I like Netflix. I'm terrible at video games. I'm on social media. But I just, sometimes I fear for us that we'll look back on our lives and we'll realize that we invested more time and energy and money in those things than we did in the kingdom of God and the word of God 
and the people of God. And it's God's mercy and grace to us that he would remind us, that he would renew in us a a desire, a hunger for his word, for his presence, for his people, that that wouldn't be our story at the end of our days. And we have opportunities, you know, every day to wake up and to, to turn our hearts to the living God, to turn our hearts away from the mundane, the things that don't matter, to turn our hearts to the presence, to the word, to the people of God himself. And you know what? It matters not just for our own lives, although it really matters for our own lives. It matters for generations to come as well. This passage, it ends by saying, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Dwell is a familiar word in the Bible from Genesis chapter one, when God was dwelling with Adam and Eve in the garden and he's walking with them in the cool of the day. Throughout the Old Testament, God is seeking with all of his might to dwell with his people. He, he puts himself in a box just so that he can be in their camp. And then he, he creates the temple system where the high priest can come in once a year and be in the presence of God and make sacrifices on behalf of his people. But always he's working back towards this day where God can just be with his people. This dwell word, I mean, Revelation 21, the last book of the Bible towards the end of the book, God God says, behold, I will dwell with my people and they with me and I shall be their God and they shall be my people. All all through the scriptures, God is working back towards dwelling with his people in this dwell word. God says, when you dwell with me, you set it up for the next generation to dwell with me. When you live a life of dwelling with me, of seeking my presence, seeking my word, building my kingdom, you set it up for the next generation in the church, for your kids to be a people who are dwelling in the presence of God, who are established before the Lord, our God Almighty, who are dwelling securely. There's no safer place. You know, we like locks and insurance and all that stuff, but there's no safer place than the presence of God. And when we dwell secure in his presence and we're established before him, we're setting it up for the next generation to do the same. I mean, God bless a good education and good opportunities and everything else we can do for the next generation for our kids. But if we have to get one thing right, let us get this thing right, that we be a people of his presence, a people of his word, and we set them up to do the same. Everything else all around us, heaven and earth will pass away, but God remains the same for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I wanna close this series by uh, really just praying for us that God would do a work in our hearts and our minds that sticks with us and that affects us for the rest of our lives. So if you'd stand with me, I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna ask you to just take 15 seconds and hold your hands out to God and begin asking God to do a transforming work in your life through this series.